Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. Ready? All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the NFL Wildcard Weekend Fantasy Flex on the Action Network podcast. I am Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs, part of the Action Network. In this episode, we are breaking down the players at the top of our rankings, which, as always, are available at actionnetwork.com slash fantasy. We're discussing the guys we're high and low on, and we're speculating on some player props. With me is Sean Corner and Chris Rabon. Sean is our director of predictive analytics and one of the top in-season fantasy football rankers for the past half decade. And Chris is a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of the Action Network show on Sirius XM Fantasy Radio. By the way, I should mention that as of last week, Chris is also a top five fantasy pros ranker for this past season. Chris, congratulations on that. Appreciate you. Uh, happy New Year to you guys and, and everybody out there. And yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just trying to get like, you know, how to get a top 10 finish in like you guys on a resume. So um, I'm humbled by it. And uh, congrats to everybody who did their thing, especially Justin, who uh, continues to uh, year in, year out, uh, be in that top in that top 10. Yeah. Well, you uh, have improved since last season. I've gotten worse as I've gone along in this contest, which (laughs) is slightly disheartening. Once again, I'm totally going to revamp my methodology (laughs) over the off season. Uh, Before we uh, hit record, we were starting to talk about playoff fantasy formats. Uh, That's kind of where I want to pick up this show because there are you know, just because it's, you know, now the wild card weekend, only four games, it doesn't mean that fantasy ends. And it doesn't mean that DFS is the only way in which you can play fantasy. Although, of course, that is a primary way. I want to briefly talk about some of the different ways that people can play their fantasy games. Uh, some of these are formalized. You can find them on different sites. Some of them are more informal and you would kind of have to do the legwork to calculate who wins. But anyone with a spreadsheet can do that pretty easily. So the main way you draft your team when a player is eliminated from the playoffs, that's it, and total points wins. Uh, you can find contests like that on a lot of different platforms. One of the other ways, and I like this way quite a bit, I'd like to get your feedback on this, you redraft your team each week. It's head-to-head single elimination. So there are eight teams. For the first round, you have two weeks. You have the wild card weekend and then the divisional round you know, uh, head to head, four teams are eliminated. So you have four teams advancing to the conference championship. Once again, you draft your team, two teams advance, they draft their team for the Super Bowl. I kind of like that format um, because you don't have to go through the mental calculations of thinking about which teams are going to advance to the next round. Although if you are a smarter person uh, or, you know, maybe just more in tune with what's happening, if you actually have an edge uh, in, in those calculations, maybe you don't like that type of contest uh, because it diminishes the skill that you have. And then also another option, uh, and this is more of like a DFS style, everyone gets full access each week to the entire player pool and you just pick the starting lineup you like and then at the end of the Super Bowl, total points wins. What formats do you guys like playing? Sean, I want to kick it to you because you said you were up all night doing calculations <laughs> and projections for, uh, for a type of fantasy playoff contest that's out there. Yeah, so I, I like the idea you have, but I, I do prefer as many mental calculations as possible. <laughs> of course. Um, because it requires me, like you said, being up all night, you know, running simulations and stuff. But I, I do like the playoff challenges where – um, you know, you, you can only pick one player from a team. Um, and, you know, the roster sizes are typically from 10 to 12 players. Um, so I, I like doing those. Um, like I said, I created a sim where um, I got, you know, estimated uh, point projections for each player throughout the playoffs. I think there's some good game theory behind it. Um, you know, something that, uh, you know, in a bigger contest, um, it's a little bit easier to go contrarian. I think I know you know, the roughly all the players that everyone's going to gravitate towards and just making some slight pivots uh, will give me a huge edge in that. Um, So I I like that. But like you said, it's, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. I think with the playoffs, you should join as many contests like this. 
play DFS, uh, bet on player props, it's the time to really, uh, you know, invest in everything non-season-long related because uh, we have that extra time. So I, I mean, trying to do as many formats as possible. All right, Raybon, what do you think? What are the formats that you like? I think I, I like. I feel like I'm in the twilight zone. Like now we're staying up all night. Like I was staying up all night all season, and I'm trying to like not stay up all night. <laughs> now that we have like a, a fourth of the teams, uh, well, a little more than that, remaining in the playoffs. But uh, no, I, I like. I, I do like the idea of kind of. Um, having a, a redraft uh, every week or every two weeks because something that I think is would be fun in fantasy that we don't really get to do is use like the third, fourth receivers, you know, number two tight ends. And I think if you're dra- redrafting for even each round of the playoffs, um, those guys kind of come into play, especially if you're in a, you know, a fairly large league. Um, so I think it's kind of, it adds a, a little bit of a, uh, a wrinkle that you won't see in the regular season where you have to kind of say, okay, do I want Isaiah McKenzie or, uh, you know, uh, Richard uh, Robert Davis or something like that um, and, and you know those a guy like that could end up winning you uh, a week or something so uh, I do like that that wrinkle and of course you know good old-fashioned DFS is always fun this time of year because you have the they kind of split the slates up into two days you also have the four game slate and then you have the showdown so you can kind of focus in a little more uh, on each matchup all right let's get into it we have our rankings uh, Raybon did you stay up all night doing your rankings or no I actually, I got some sleep. So I got up at around, I think it was maybe five or so and started working on them and I uh, got them in by like about 10 or so I was five hours instead of like 15. Uh, so excellent. Yeah. yeah uh, I'm feeling good. And I don't feel like I'm going to, they're going to like change a ton throughout the week, which is also good. You know, I, I think there's a couple of situations, you know, Philadelphia, obviously there are some injury question marks, but for the most part, I feel good about where I'm at. With- All right, let's get into it. The three players at the top of our rankings. And it's now kind of funny to say this because there are only like eight quarterbacks. So it's like the, the big three out of eight. But the, the three players at the top of our rankings, we have Watson, Breeze, and Wilson. Sean, who are you relatively high on this week? You know, this is pretty much a DFS-specific show. So I wouldn't say I'm high on him. He's my number six QB. But I think I'll have a lot of Tom Brady this week um, in DFS. I mean, I'm going to fall for the trap. We're, we're getting, uh, you know, the greatest quarterback of all time. To, he's the cheapest quarterback on the slate. So uh, I'm going to be a sucker for that. I'm going to take him at home against the Titans. Hopefully hopefully we get some Brady playoff magic here. Um, and then I think they'll fall flat next round. I'm going to get beat. But, um, you know, at 5,800, uh, the, the quarterback on this slate are pretty interesting. I really want to take Deshaun Watson at his price. Uh, but I think, uh, you know, Brady, I think he's going to be under-owned this week at – you know, as the lowest uh, price QB. And then I'm going to probably load up at wide receiver. So I think um, just the way that roster construction is looking, I think Brady makes the most sense for me. Rayvon, what about you? Uh, I like Drew Brees, actually, as the number one guy this week. When I look at um, Watson, I know, you know, a lot of – there's a lot of kind of talk about these these dome overs in in the postseason, which have hit at a pretty high rate. Um, but most, uh, pretty much all of that profitability has come and all of the, the kind of uh, plus hitting that over has come at a totals of 45 and a half or above. So essentially when the total is league average or better, um, when it's under that, it's pretty much 500. So I don't, I'm not as bullish on kind of a high scoring game for, for Bills, Texans as maybe some. Uh, I do think that uh, Vikings and Saints has a good chance uh, of going over that total. It's the highest uh, total of the week. So um, that, that's kind of the game that I'm zeroing in on. And, and Breeze, I mean, he's been – I mean, it's, it's, he's just been unstoppable these last few weeks, um, kind of got in a groove. Uh, I think it's, what, 15 touchdowns and, and no picks over the last five. Uh, he had that game where he only threw one incompletion. I think that the Vikings defense isn't what it once was. So I, I do like Breeze at 6,600 um, over Watson and, and over Russell Wilson at, at 6,800 as well. Yeah, I hear you there with Breeze, and one thing that's interesting is the uh, the Saints over the past month have averaged 40 points per game. That's just them. That's not even like what the other team has done. <laughs> so I'm I'm with you there on uh, on looking for a high scoring game. Uh, I I bet the over as quickly as I could on that. Um, and uh, yeah, so in the the Friedman model in DraftKings uh, for Fantasy Labs, which by the way, obviously I say it every week, it's the sexiest of the models. Um, He's number one 
in, in that model. And I, I get it. And then Watson is number one in a lot of the other models, uh, both models for you guys for DraftKings, uh, the Bales model, the CSRM88 model. So uh, I, I like those two guys quite a bit. And Watson specifically, if it looks like Fuller is going to play, and right now things seem to be trending in that direction. Um, and so if he plays, you know, Fuller, uh, he's a net positive to that entire offense. And so when he plays, you have Deshaun Watson scoring five to six more DraftKings points per game. Uh, so I think it's a good situation for him, even though I have to admit it is a tough matchup. I have a lot of respect for the, the Bills pass defense, but I still like Watson at his what I think is a relatively reduced price on DraftKings. Um, one thing that uh, I do like about Breeze in the spot is his floor projection, which is essentially um, what he would be expected to, to go over about 85% of the time. Um, it's 13.1 uh, for DraftKings, and, and the second highest is 10. So he has a pretty sizable lead um, in terms of his floor projection over, over all the other quarterbacks. Uh, Josh Allen, interestingly enough, uh, number two, uh, assuming for some of that rushing upside, and that Houston defense hasn't been good. So I think the key to that game going over would be kind of the, the Bills showing up on the other end. But uh, Breeze, Breeze, I think the floor is kind of unmatched. Yeah, yeah and, he, and, and he has the highest ceiling projection in the model too. Yeah. Yeah, I th- just real quick, a gripe I want to make. It's so frustrating that Taysom Hill is still listed as a QB, um, especially <laughs> yeah. for this late. Like, I have him projected just as a wide receiver right around the Ted Ginn, Traquan Smith range. And I just think it'd be really cool if they give, you know, make him a wide receiver finally, especially for a slate like this. Not that I would take him necessarily, but I do want others to kind of take him at like (laughs) 4,500 or whatever. But he's, he's so annoying as sort of the troll that kind of breaks slates or something that no one has. I I wish that they would make him wide receiver just so he was relevant. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So Sean, you said that Brady is one of the players you're really interested in. I, I get everything that you said, I'm just, uh, I'm kind of out, you know, I'm, I'm a little oh, bit yeah. out on Brady. And he, because it's, it's a situation where, you know, like he normally, uh, I mean, he, he tends to do well in the playoffs, but in the second half of the season, he's historically faded and, you know, he's been even worse this year in general. And, you know, part of that is probably age, part of it, you know, lack of weapons around him, you know, cold weather, whatever. You can come up with a number of reasons for why he's underperformed. And so, you know, you look at this spot, I think it is great in that he's at home, he's favored, he's going against a Titans defense that is lacking its top two cornerbacks, just benched the guy who was backing up one of those guys. You know, they're playing an old veteran in Tremaine Brock who wasn't with the team a month ago. Like, there are a lot of things that are good with his situation, especially that um, the Titans are just driving games to the over. And so I think that could be a high scoring game. So like I, I get the setup and why everything is good for Brady. It's just, I don't trust it because I haven't liked anything that I've seen out of him for, you know, like the past month yeah. and a half. Yeah. I, I would just say, I'm not going to have a hundred percent Brady. I'm just going to try to have more than, you know, what, what his ownership is. So I would say like 20 to 25% exposure is about where I'm headed. And and I'll mention it later in wide receivers, but I just think there's a sneaky uh, contrarian snack, uh, stack with him. Yeah. All right, so, uh, Sean, who are you relatively low on? Uh, well, I'm going to try fading uh, the quarterback playing at New England again this week. It didn't work so well with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick last week, of course. Pretty much called that. Uh, it would backfire. But I, I, I'm going to fade Ryan Tannehill here. Um, I, I do get taking him to be contrarian. Um, he's, he's pretty pricey given the matchup. But I think this is an obvious spot for them to just feed Derrick Henry a ton um, and, and probably not lean on Tannehill as much. So I, I just don't like his upside in this spot. Um, and, you know, there's there's eight quarterbacks on the slate, so we can't play every one. We have to fade somebody. And I think I'll, I'll try to be under-owned on Ryan Tannehill here. Raybon, what about you? Yeah, I agree with Sean. Um, I think Tannehill stands out. You know, you can't use, like, the recency bias from last week. And in a game that the Patriots obviously – you know, just from a human perspective, couldn't have been quite as motivated as, as they should have been, even though they were still playing for seeding, because uh, there's no other way you know, to explain a loss to the Miami Dolphins for the New England Patriots for a team that good. So um, I, I'm not looking to I'm not looking to really touch Tannehill. And, and we have a, a piece up on ActionNetwork.com right now. John Ewing wrote it. It's, it's really interesting about uh, first time postseason quarterbacks and they have really struggled um, going 12, uh, 14 and 30 against the spread. And, you know, that's 
I think that's kind of uh, indicative of, of how tough it is. You know, your first go around, a guy like Tannehill going into Foxborough, uh, I don't see it for him. I think that the Patriots can take away A.J. Brown, which is really the guy that's been doing, uh, you know, almost single-handedly pulling Tannehill to these, you know, plus plus fantasy stat lines. I think with that, if A.J. Brown is limited, it's a lot tougher when you're working with, you know, Corey Davis and Johnny Smith and Ferkser and, and Tajay Sharp. Um, to, to put up big numbers. So um, I, I will be fading Tannehill as well. All right. We're going to have some conversation on AJ Brown later. And by the way, Johnny Smith, fantastic rusher. <laughs> Put some yeah, respect next to his name. That's all he did last week though. <laughs> yeah, I know. All right. Let's, uh, let's get to the, the quarterback prop for the wildcard weekend. By the way, everyone should check out the fantasy labs prop tool, which over the past year, going back, actually more than past year, going back to the, the full 2018 season. So now really like two years worth of data has a 60% win rate on bets, uh, player props that have a bet quality of 10. Sean, give us the player prop. Let's go with Ryan Tannehill, uh, total passing yards at New England. Um, I have it at 227 and a half. Or we should almost do uh, what will be great, Ryan Tannehill passing yards or Derrick Henry rushing yards. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I, I, I actually have the over. I have him a little bit over that. Um, so I'll go over it. There, I think the Patriots actually can, can, like Friedman said, do some things against this Titans defense. So I wouldn't be surprised if Tannehill put up some yards. I just don't really expect them to have a lot of success. Expect some turnovers, some negative plays, things like that. But I, I'll go over just because I think they will be playing from behind. I have the under. I have 221. So I feel like I'm not all that far from your line. Um, but, uh, yeah, just, you know, tough matchup playing outdoors. Um, but I think I'm, I'm pretty close to, to your line. Raybon, where are you? You said you're a little bit over. Uh, so I'm at 233. Yeah. Yeah, we're pretty much bracketing. Yeah, I pretty much split the difference on you guys. That's okay. Yeah. Good. That, that, was, the, that was the one projection I wasn't too sure about. Yeah. Uh, All right, let's talk about these running backs. The three guys at the top of our rankings, Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, Derek Henry. Sean, where are you with these guys or anyone else that you were relatively high on? So I love uh, both running backs in the Bills-Texans game. Um, Carlos Hyde is only 5,100. I I think this is a spot where um, they'll intend to use them heavily here. The Bills are uh, a run funnel type defense. Um, you know, the Texans are slight home favorites. Um, he, he's averaged, uh, you know, they rested starters last week. I believe he only had like four carries, so we'll throw out that game. But uh, the three previous games, he was averaging 19 carries. Um, and he's pretty cheap on DK's, 5,100. Um, so I think this is a spot where his ceiling's a lot higher than normal. Um, obviously, he's not going to catch many balls. But I think, you know, a 20-carry game for 100 yards and a touchdown um, is possible here. I consider him like a poor man's Derrick Henry in this spot. Um, and then on the other side of the ball, uh, Devin Singletary, I just love him. Um, you know, ever since week 11, he's basically become the workhorse back. Um, and week 16, they, they increased his role even more. He, um, he played 96% of the snaps. Uh, they didn't even let Frank Gore get a touch that game. Um, so, you know, that, that's not an, anybody's mind right now because week 17 they they rested the starters as well so um i'm I'm just looking at week 16 and i could see him having you know a 25 touch game here um and his uh routes run per drop back spiked up at 88 percent that game i just see him as being a true workhorse back here um they'll they'll need him to beat the texans so i'll have a ton of him um at 6k this week yeah, and uh, Singletary is popping in our models, especially our models for FanDuel. But, uh, I mean, you can obviously make a case for getting exposure to him on DraftKings too. Raybon, who are you relatively high on? Yeah, I love the Singletary call. Um, I think he's going to be deployed, like just unleashed in this game. I mean, this, this is what you have to do in, in a road playoff game where you're an underdog. Um, this is what they got him for. Uh, so love it. Uh, a guy that's a little more contrarian. It's almost, this would almost be kind of a poor man's Carlos Hyde, but I think – he has sneaky kind of upside to be that, that power back that ends up going for, for multiple touchdowns. And that's Jordan Howard. Uh, Miles Sanders is banged up. We know Boston Scott's going to, to get a lot of pass down work as well, but uh, I was reading a quote from Doug Peterson saying they are going to, to, to kind of lean on Howard a little bit more this week with Sanders banged up. And if you look at the Seattle Seahawks over the last four games, they have allowed multiple rushing touchdowns uh, to running backs in each game. 
And I think Jordan Howard would be that guy uh, if the Eagles got in scoring position. Um, he's generally that guy that, that, that they look to in, in those spots. It's, a, it's an outdoor postseason game. Uh, just kind of sets up, I think, for, for the Eagles to ride him a little more than maybe we expect. And I think it, kind of, it almost reminds me of a couple years ago when uh, you, had, you had Garrett Blunt just kind of as that power back for New England. His usage was all over the place. Um, and then they kind of just unleashed him in, in a game against the Colts. And I think you, there's like a, a sneaky chance that that could be the case for, uh, for Howard this week. Obviously, game script dependent, but love it as a tournament play. All right, one guy I am relatively high on, um, Dalvin Cook. I feel like that almost doesn't need much explanation, but uh, in a smash spot in what I expect to be a high-scoring game, and the Saints aren't bad by any means in, in run defense, but uh, I just have so much respect. And it's funny because, like, I didn't think all that highly of Cook entering the season, but, um, you know, he's been able to stay healthy for most of the year. It's, it's trending towards him playing. And uh, the offensive line, even though I still don't think the uh, like separate parts are really all that good, as a cohesive unit, they have been pretty good in run blocking this year. And I think that speaks to, you know, run game guru um, Gary Kubiak and, and his influence. Uh, and then also Kevin Stefanski. Uh, and, you know, they just have a team that is very committed to running the ball. I think it, it could be a, a pretty big game for Dalvin Cook. And obviously we know what he can do as a receiver too. So um, right now I have him number one. Uh, you guys both have him ranked number two. Um, and, you know, I, I can see the, the case for, for either way with how that would go. But uh, I have Cook just a little bit ahead of Kamara here. Uh, Sean, who are you relatively low on? Um, so I, I'm low on Derrick Henry. Um, I just think he's way too expensive on DK. I know he's going to be – um, pretty heavily owned after last week's 200-yard, three-touchdown game. Um, but, you know, DK is a full PPR site. So, you know, 95 yards and a touchdown uh, is about 15 and a half points, and that's, that's just not worth um, 8,200. So um, uh, you, you have to fade somebody on the slate. I think he'll be the guy fade at running back. Uh, I have Kamara and Cook um, projected higher than him, and they're, you know, significantly cheaper. Um, I think wide receiver, like I mentioned earlier, is the position to spend up on. Um, so I'll be fading him, and um, you know I I am very aware of his ceiling in this game, but I think you know part of this is just knowing that he's going to be heavily owned um, at 8,200, and he hasn't. He, he, the last time he he got a catch was week um, 14, I believe. So you know on a PPR site that that just doesn't help. Um, so he's going to have to score multiple touchdowns again, I think, to hit at this price, especially on a smaller slate. Uh, I think it's 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 easier to find. Uh, cheaper options at running back than other positions. Yeah, I mean, the the game last week was massive and uh, totally destroyed Chubb tickets for, you know, 12 to 1, 15 to 1 to, uh, mm. to lead the I had him at 20 to 1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, I had some Henry too, but was definitely rooting for Chubb to hang on. Yeah, yeah. So that was, that was disappointing to see, but massive uh, and impressive performance by Derrick Henry last week. Raybon, <laughs> who are you relatively low on? One guy that stands out for me is Alexander Madison. Uh, you know, I know that he's been that number two back for most of the year, but we got to remember, you know, he had a 27% backfield carry share um, in, in the games that he was active, but the Vikings were one of the most run heavy teams in the, in the league. And they had a lot of games where they were kind of blowing people out. And so I think that that number is a little bit inflated and it's, it's the postseason. So I do think that, uh, you know, Cook is going to be the guy to kind of hit his average and they're going to make sure that they get him his carries. Madison coming off a multi-game layout, way off. He's a rookie, first postseason game. Uh, I just really don't know uh, if they're going to lean on him very heavily in this spot. So, uh, you know, he's kind of priced, you know, right in there. Like some of these other guys, like uh, Sean mentioned, Carlos Hyde. Uh, I like Jordan Howard more than him, Latavius Murray. Um, so, like, I, I would just pay the extra um, – the extra two, three hundred dollars, uh, four hundred dollars for like a, one of those guys in, instead of going with Madison. And, and right now, I think uh, Miles Sanders, I would even say, is a little bit overpriced at sixty two hundred because I again, I think this is a game. You know, Seattle's been kind of getting banged around in the run game. I think this game, uh, you know, close game, one of the, a little bit low scoring in terms of the projection. I just think it sets up for a little bit more power running. And then you're seeing a lot of Boston Scott uh, on pass downs as well. So it could just be an ugly spot with, with like a three man committee for Sanders at 6,200. Whereas you have a Devin Singletary 
who as Sean mentioned, he's at 6K and he, he got every he got every touch uh, last the last um, important game for the Bills a couple weeks ago. So uh, Sanders is another one I'm looking to fade. Yeah, looking at the rankings right now, I'm too high on Sanders. I have him at number four, and uh, like I'm just anticipating, I'm going to need to move him down based on uh, the the injury, which I think I mm-hmm. probably didn't take into account as much as I should. Even though they said uh, MRI was negative, uh, you know, it looks like he's you know day to day and trending towards playing this week. I I need to adjust him down, uh, yeah, in part because of Singletary and what he offers, but then also yeah, Jordan Howard coming back, uh, yeah. So I'm probably a little bit too high on Sanders. One guy I am uh, low on, and Sean, it's some guy you like, Carlos Hyde. Uh, and so I get why you would like Carlos Hyde, home favorite. Uh, you know, it could be a good situation. But uh, I don't know. I'm just a little bit pessimistic on the Texans. Uh, and so I think game script might not be as positive. And if, you know, if the Texans fall behind, I don't know if there's a situation in which Carlos Hyde gets – the necessary carries he needs to return value. And I, I could see the split being a little bit closer between Hyde and Duke Johnson uh, in, in terms of playing time. So I'm, you know, I don't know. I don't want to say like I'm super down on Hyde, but I'm, I'm lower on Hyde relative to where you are. I have him ranked number nine. You have him ranked number five. Do we um, think, do we yeah. think Watson is going to be the highest owned quarterback? Or because I think it's he's an interesting leverage play. Um, you know what I mean? Like if, you, if yeah. you're looking at it from a tournament perspective, if if like Watson Hopkins uh, are going to be high owned, which I'm guessing they will be, uh, especially on DK. I think I think that's the way you would use him. Um, would, would be yeah. I think yeah. I don't know. I think Breeze might be. Yeah, I think Breeze will be the chalk. Yeah, Breeze yeah. Breeze at home in the game with the highest total on the slate, and then with the matchup that Watson has. Um, I think people might respect that enough to to pivot towards Breeze, especially since Breeze is cheaper on DraftKings, which, like, I just – I don't understand that move. The fact that Breeze isn't the most expensive quarterback, I think, is uh, a little off. Sean, I, I almost skipped oh. over the high point of the running back <laughs> section, which is the prop. Go ahead and, and uh, tell us yeah, what you here. This is a guy we really haven't talked about much, but Alvin Kamara, I want to do total rushing and receiving yards. I mean, talk about salvaging his fantasy season. He had, what, an 11-game scoreless drought, and then he scored uh, four times the last two games. So I have his total rushing and receiving yards at 94.5. I'll go over. Um, I have it at, like, 101, like 100 and, 100 and a half. So I'll go over. I have it at 97. So, yeah, I'll also go over. Um, but I, I think this is an interesting spot for Kamara because, you know, they, they had last week, I, I don't think they were fully invested in giving him a full workload. So, um, his, I think his carry percentage is kind of hovering in the, in the high 50s, but in terms of the backfield carries with Murray. But I think in a game like this, uh, they will feed him, whether it's on the ground or through the air, probably at the highest volume they have all season or, or since early in the year where Murray wasn't as much of a factor. Um, so yeah. uh, I, I do like I, I like the upside for Kamara. And all he needs is one or two big plays to kind of like a, a spike play to get over. Because I think he will get uh, around 20, 20 touches or approach 20 touches. In how, many, how many touches do you guys have for uh, Murray? Yeah, I was going to say the the thing that scares me a little bit about this is that if the, um, I mean, they're home favorites. If the Saints get out to a sizable lead, I could see them using Murray a little bit more in the second yeah. half. So uh, I have Murray projected for nine carries and yep. one reception. I have him at 7.9 carries and 1.9 catches, actually. So same, same amount of touches, uh, just under 10. Just like about not between nine, nine and a half and 10 touches. Yeah, I'm right there with you guys. It's a revenge game narrative for Murray, too, so... Ah, forgot that. I I change. Yeah, give him a boost. Yeah. All right, let's uh, talk about the wide receivers, the guys at the top of our rankings, Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, Julian Edelman. Edelman is is interesting. Uh, I definitely want to hear what you guys have to say about him because, you know, he's he's playing through injuries. He hasn't been super productive, but this is, you know, a, a good matchup for him, and this is the time in which they really need him, and you figure that they will feed him. Uh, Sean? What are your thoughts? Who are the guys you're relatively high on? 
So I rarely point out the, you know, top projected and most expensive guy, but I think this is necessary. Uh, I, I think Michael Thomas is a free square at 9,300. I mean, he's yeah. just breaking my projections here. Um, so like I said, there, there's easy ways to save money at all the other positions, and it's pretty easy to fit in Michael Thomas. So I think he'll be extremely chalky, as he should be. I'm not going to even try fading him um, in this spot. Uh, I, I haven't projected – um, seven more points than the next guy. Uh, so he comes out, his, I have, his estimated cost is about uh, 10.2K. So he's about 1K too cheap on the slate. Um, so and there's, <laughs> I don't really have to go into why he's a good play, but uh, just know that he's, he's way too cheap. He's going to be highly owned. Um, and I don't think there's any reason to fade him. But the one guy I, I do like kind of um, taking in the 4K range, um, and I mentioned earlier is uh, that this is the guy I want to stack with Brady and a couple teams is Nikhil Harry at 4,100. Um, you know, Julian Edelman, he, he's tricky. Like you mentioned, he's playing at way less than hundred percent. I think it would, you know, that would have been one of the positives of having a first round buy is to get him healthy, but he's going to have to play through it. So I think um, we, we won't see, you know, eight to 10 catch game like we're used to at this time from him. I think Harry is a sneaky play. He's been playing around 60% of the dropbacks. Um, and then last week he, he was targeted seven times. One of them um, was a corner fade in the end zone that he just missed a touchdown. So I could see Brady um, having him be his top red zone weapon um, this week. So I, I love him a lot at 4,100. I think he's, he's a potential two touchdown upside guy. I don't think he's going to go for six catches, a hundred yards. Um, so to speak, I, I think he's a sneaky, you know, four catch, 40 yards for two touchdowns type of play on a four game slate. Th those are the type of guys that I like um, pairing with a guy like Brady um, on the slate. All right, Raybon, you are relatively high on Edelman. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I just think, you know, this is classic Patriots. I mean, and, and I do like Harry. I think that's a, that is a good call, but I, I'm bullish on the Patriots offense in general. I think this is a defense that they can um, have success against. But uh, when it comes to Edelman, I mean, you know, he's banged up, absolutely. But number one, you just look at these uh, experienced veteran quarterbacks. Like at the end of the day, against a, a shaky secondary, uh, I think Brady's still going to lean on the guy he trusts the most um, to, to get, you know, third down catches. Um, and just just in general, if you look at his uh, Edelman's postseason numbers, uh, the last five postseasons, Julian Edelman uh, is – seven catchers or more per game, uh, eight catchers or more per game in four of those five. Um, and that's, you know, that's above his season average. So um, there is, there is a lot of data to back up kind of Brady leaning on him even more and his median target, uh, his median targets this year in a game, even with some down games at the end of the year is still 10 and a half. Uh, and I think that is a very fair uh, outlook for him, even banged up, um, because remember they don't have to all come deep and uh, whatnot. But I just think to move the chains, uh, he will still be heavily involved, and, and it can add up pretty quick in uh, in PPR, especially. Yeah, and you are also high on uh, DK Metcalf. I see, and uh, I like that. Like the the situation for the the cornerbacks for the Eagles is uh, I wouldn't say it's dire, but it is near dire. So uh, Jalen Mills missed week 17 with an ankle issue. He practiced every day last week on a limited basis. So I think he's likely to play this week. But Ronald Darby is obviously out for the season on IR. Avante Maddox, who normally plays in the slot for week 17, he shifted outside to the perimeter and then he suffered an undisclosed injury. So we're not sure what is happening with him. So right now in the slot, they are starting uh, a guy who has a great name in Cravon Le LeBlanc, but uh, that doesn't mean that he's going to be able to defend Tyler Lockett. Uh, and then on the outside, they're starting Rasul Douglas against DK Metcalf, and that's assuming Jalen Mills is able to play. But he, if he's not, or if he's not 100%, then uh, there could be a really bad situation going on for the Eagles in their secondary. Of course, all of that assumes that uh, the Seahawks might be willing to throw the ball, which is never a safe assumption. But just in terms of the matchup, you, you do have to like what's happening for Metcalf and also for Lockett. Yeah, and, and one thing about Metcalf, and I, I might end up moving him up to, to six because I think there's valid concerns about, all right, you know, Stephon Diggs could see some, could see some Lattimore, um, hasn't been – you know, quite as productive with, with Thielen in the lineup, and Thielen just hasn't been productive 
period. And then AJ Brown could see some Stephen Gil- Stephon Gilmore. So, um, you know, I have, you know, Thomas Edelman, Hopkins, Lockett, Brown, John Brown. Um, I, I think you can make a good case for Metcalf number six because he's run a hundred percent. He ran a hundred percent of the routes last game and 98% the game before his season average is around 88 uh, percent. So you're, you're now looking at a, a target share uh, in that 22 to 23% range. Um, if you kind of project it out with the increase in routes. And I think that'll continue because you don't have Josh Gordon, uh, you know, Malik Turner, we'll see if he can clear, if he clears the concussion protocol, but um, you know, Jerome Brown just got hurt. You have John Ursua, the a rookie. So I think Metcalf is a pretty good bet to play um, pretty much every snap yeah. uh, on the outside. And this, this, this is how you beat this Eagles team is you, you attack them at the cornerback position, you attack them on the perimeter. So uh, I think Metcalf has a, it's within his range of outcomes to finish, um, you know, if, 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 if Michael Thomas doesn't score like two touchdowns, there's a chance that, that Metcalf could, could be right up there with him. I, I, I think he has a ton of upside. For sure. You, I mean, you mentioned his range of outcomes and he's had some big games this year, but I, I don't think we've even seen his true ceiling game yet. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, like a six, seven catch, 150 yards and two touchdown game. Um, and there's certainly a spot where you can see him potentially doing that. So I love the call. Yeah. Uh, okay. I mean, let's let's uh, get into the the highlight of the show. Me standing for AJ Brown against Stephon Gilmore, just as I did last week with Devonte Parker, which by the way was <laughs> the right side. Yeah. I have all the respect for Stephon Gilmore, who I I think really should be a lock for Defensive Player of the Year. Um, but I think it's a, a similar situation to what we saw last week. I think Tannehill, he's not the YOLO type of quarterback that Ryan Fitzpatrick is, but like there are some definite similarities and Tannehill is like playing with house money at this point. Like, I, I don't think that he has the, the fear to think, Oh, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't throw uh, at Stefan Gilmore's coverage 10 times in this game. Like I could see Tannehill actually doing that. And I think Brown is the, physical and like ball dominant type of receiver similar in a way to Devonte Parker uh, who could actually have some success against Stefan Gilmore. Um, and I've just been incredibly impressed with what we've seen out of AJ Brown this year. Um, so I, you know, it's not to say like, I think he's a lock to go off, but uh, I'm, I'm just a little bit higher on him than than you guys are and it's like a hundred percent that he's going to see Stefan Gilmore for you know like 95 to 99 percent of his routes so it's definitely not an easy matchup but I'm I'm more comfortable having him at, at number six you know Rayvon you have him at number nine that's not to say there's actually like all that huge of a disparity probably in in the way that we're projecting because it's such a small slate but uh you know relatively speaking I know that you are lower on him yeah, uh, I mean, uh, first I'll say this, you know, in terms of half point PPR, uh, John, I have John Brown and AJ Brown, they're five, you know, bookending five and nine, you know, and there's, so there's five guys there and they're all separated by a point. So it's, right. it's not a ton, but right. I, I do think that AJ actually does have the lowest floor because again, I just don't think that you can kind of look at the, like, you can kind of look at the Patriots and like, okay, this is what happened last week. Devontae Parker goes off. And they lose a game, they lose a seed. Like, I just don't see Bill Belichick letting this happen again to the point where I could see them putting Stephon Gilmore on Brown and still doubling him all game with a safety and saying, there is no way that you're beating us. Like, if you want to beat us with, with all these other guys, Johnu and Tajay and Corey Davis. And Derrick Henry. Right, yeah, no, that's, <laughs> right. no, I mean, in the past game, in the past game. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, I mean, I just don't see Bill Belichick in Foxborough letting this, this happen again. Like, like, like he just, he's not, a, he's just not a, a coach that gets fooled twice. And I just don't, I just don't see it. I, and, I, and we've seen a low floor for Brown in terms of targets. In certain, like the game before uh, last week, he had just a, an 8% target here, just a couple of looks. Yeah. Um, kind of saved his day with a rushing score. So, you know, it, it, I think the floor just when I look at some of these, like when I look at, um, you know, John Brown, I think his, his floor is extremely high because he's that number one guy, bad defense. Uh, then I think Diggs and Thielen have a reasonably decent floor just because it's going to be a high scoring game and they see so much of a target share. And then Metcalf we talked about. Um, so that, you know, that just leaves Brown as a guy that I could see getting like, you know, I agree. I actually, I, I agree with that. I think his the range of outcomes with him is pretty big. And I think he, he like within his range of, of outcomes, like the floor is, uh, two targets, zero receptions. Like that, that could happen. 
<laughs> yeah, but I, I no, you. I mean, you're making a good point, um, and he's expensive enough. He's going to be. I think he's going to be underowned. So, like you know, when we're making medium projections, he doesn't really pop in the model. But I think, like you mentioned, the range of outcomes at that price, um, he's going to be low owned. I, I can get behind him much more so than Devontae Parker last week. That was so weird because that's like the only guy they had to worry about. You know. You don't have to pay attention to Patrick Laird or Delance <laughs> Turner. Like they have Derrick Henry, like you guys mentioned, Corey Davis, other guys that they have to pay attention to. So I think AJ Brown has um, higher upside here, where they can't they can't cover all of them. So uh, you know, if they weren't able to stop Parker last week, I don't know how they're going to stop Brown too. He's just so good, uh, borderline matchup proof that I think you could make a case for him at this price. Yeah, uh, Sean, who are you relatively low on? Uh, so you guys mentioned him earlier, but Stefan Diggs, um, I'm guessing he'll be shadowed by a lot of more. Um, and he's 6,600. Don't really like the price. Um, you know, they, they were able to rest their starters last week. So hopefully Thielen can be somewhat, uh, his old self and be closer to hundred percent. So I could see Diggs being more of a decoy potentially, um, and targeting Thielen a ton and, you know, Dalvin Cook's going to be back. So I could see them just running it a ton to keep Drew Brees off the field. Um, so at 6,600, he's, he's just in the price range that where I don't think you should be targeting a guy like him, um, you know, especially when guys like John Brown and DK Metcalf are 500 bucks cheaper. Um, he's just sort of in no man's land for me. Uh, so I'll be fading digs this week uh, at 6,600. Okay. One guy uh, I'm probably going to stay away from, and Sean mentioned him as someone he likes. So, you know, we're caught in the crosshairs here. But uh, in Kill Harry, not that I think there's anything wrong with him. I'm just uh, – I'm pessimistic about this this Patriots passing game in general, which is probably why he's actually a smart play, especially, you know, as a, a contrarian tournament option. But uh, I'm just – I don't know. I'm, I'm pessimistic on, on everything to do with uh, the, the Patriots offense. Sean, give us the wide receiver player prop. Let's go with A.J. Brown uh, receiving yards. Um, <laughs> I, I have it at 65 and a half. That's almost – I have it at 66 and a half. So I guess I'm so obliged over. to take the over. But <laughs> Are you going to do some median mean tactics and go with under still? Okay, over. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll take the over. I mean, let's be honest. I, I want to take the under just because I know that's probably the right side. But I'll take the over. I have him at just over 60, so I'm going, I'm going under here. Uh, you know, I agree. I think, I think he does have it's, – it's the range of outcomes for me. I think, the median, I think the median is still Bill Belichick saying, what the hell were you guys doing last week <laughs> with Devontae Parker? This is the playoffs now. He's the one guy in the passing game that can beat us. Let's just take him away. So, I, yeah, I, I'm going to go under. All right, let's get to the tight ends, the guys at the top of our models – Goddard, Cook, and Hollister, uh, one quick note. We are recording this on Tuesday afternoon. We don't know yet exactly what's happening with Zach Ertz. Um, I think that we are leaning – I mean, actually, this will be sort of part of the conversation. Chris, you don't have him ranked, so I'm assuming that you're leaning towards uh, the idea that he is not playing. Uh, I've sort of, you know, quote-unquote, downgraded him to number five in our rankings, which is basically my way of saying – I'm kind of doubtful he's going to play. But uh, where, Sean, where are you on Ertz? Uh, well, I, I'm sort of just treating that situation cautiously right now. I have him projected for like uh, four catches and Goddard for five. That's something that I'll be, you know, dealing with later in the week. So uh, yeah. I'm just sort of fading it right now. Yeah. I mean, the, and Raybon, I'd like your thoughts on this. So like right now, we all have Goddard ranked number one. My thinking is that even if Ertz does play, I still really like Dallas Goddard this week. Obviously not as much, but I'm, I'm still really interested in what he can do because they have so few options in that offense. But what are your thoughts on Goddard if Ertz does play? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think Goddard's the guy. I think Goddard is just, you know, he would probably see more stuff. I mean, I don't, I don't see how Ertz plays. I, I you know, from what I've read, he, you know, he, he, they say his injury was more serious than thought. He has a, a cracked rib and a lacerated kidney that kept him in the hospital after the game. I mean, I think this is total game theory by Doug Peterson um, because it changes the whole offense. Uh, right. You know, and it, it, you know, you don't necessarily play as much too tight end. And I, and I know Josh Perkins, um, they can kind of slot him in there, but he's more of a kind of like a hybrid tight end wide receiver, almost like a Dar Darren Waller type. So 
Um, I think that whole offense kind of changes, and you don't want to give that away in the most important game of the year. So I, I think it's total game theory. I, I don't see Earth playing. I don't see them risking. I mean, it's a playoff game, but, I mean, a, a, right. a, a lacerated – anytime you're talking about something with a kidney, um, I, I just don't see it. You know, he's too important. I mean, any human being is too important. I mean, any any internal organ yeah. and the word laceration, right. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I may, I mean, maybe they could give him like some type of Teflon armor thing, and he, but I just, yeah. I don't see it. I could be wrong, um, but I'm just treating it, you know, because it really does change the whole projections of the whole team yeah. um, if you kind of slot him in there. So, like, I, I just have him out so I can get a better sense of, um, you know, okay, what's Perkins, what do I, what do I have for Perkins, what do I have for Ward? Um, those guys, um, and obviously I'll update if we get more news, but right now I'm, I'm, I, I would consider it like I would consider him doubtful, which is about 25% chance to play. Yeah, so if, if, if Ertz is ruled out, which is very possible, I, you know, people are obviously going to flock to Goddard, but you mentioned him, uh, Josh Perkins. What do you think about him as just being a total pivot play? He ran 70 por- 74% of routes on dropbacks, uh, basically the Goddard role. So Goddard basically became Ertz and Perkins. Uh, got her and he uh, he went for four catches, 50 yards, and a touchdown. So, um, you'd be uh, overexposed to Perkins, do you think? I like it. Yeah. I, so, I, yeah. I mean, I think I'm the most, I probably am the most, oh, yeah. I have my number five. And that's why I wanted to rank it without Ertz to kind of see where um, some of these other guys fall. Cause I think tight end is, is going to be a really important uh, play on this slate because um, you, you have Goddard and you have Jared, assuming Ertz does it play or is going to be limited? You have uh, Goddard and Cook is kind of the two guys who you probably trust the most. Um, Jacob Hollister has been kind of in that six, seven target range, but um, not always doing a, a lot with it. Um, so I think, you know, being able to, to get a guy like Perkins under 3K, uh, that could be a, a slate changer. And yeah. I mentioned he's kind, of a, he's kind of a wide receiver in a tight end's body or, or whatever, or vice versa, however you want to look at it. But, um, yeah, I, I love that call with Perkins and I'm, I'm I have, again, I have him at number five, uh, assuming Earth is out. Yeah. That is the biggest discrepancy. I would say of like any meaningful ranking that we have this week, you at, uh, at number five with Perkins, Sean and I much lower. And honestly, like I'm going to adjust him up. Like that's, that's something I need right. to do. Like once I know for sure that Earth is out, all of those snaps and targets get reallocated. But, uh, yeah, Perkins is definitely someone who's intriguing this week. Sean, who are you relatively high on? So the whole Eagles situation aside, I think Hollister uh, makes a compelling case at 4,300. I think at that price, he's going to be pretty under-owned. He hasn't really done much in the box score lately. He's basically a walking four for 40 kind of (laughs) guy. But he's, you know, he's running a route on over 80% of the dropbacks. And last week it spiked up to 88. Um, And then, you know, he hasn't scored a touchdown, I think, in the last six games. But um, only Lockett has more red zone targets, 14 to his 12, um, since uh, Hollister became a full-time player in Week 9. So he still does have that touchdown potential we saw earlier in the season. Um, so I love Hollister at 4,300. I could see him easily you know, going for five, five catches for 50 yards and a touchdown or something. And at this price, I think people will shy away. But his, his underlying usage has been encouraging. Um, just we haven't seen the results in the box scores yet. But I think that could change this week. Okay. Uh... Yeah, I mean, honestly, the, the tight end position is, is so weird this week that I feel like there's no one I actually really love, um, like, relative to the rankings that we have. So I'm just going to probably go super chalky and say I really love Dallas Goddard. Like, that's obvious. We all have him number one. But, like, even if, even if Ertz gets in a full practice on Friday, which is not going to happen, but even if we had a fully healthy Ertz, I would still really like Goddard this week. And uh, I would have probably Ertz number one. Again, assuming Ertz is totally healthy, I would have Ertz number one and Goddard number two. Just because, like, I think, I think they really see what they have in Goddard. And he's, like, at this point, he's functioning as their number one option. So, uh, still, like, I am, I am really on him this week. Um, and also, like, Jared Cook quite a bit. A uh, high-scoring game. But uh, his matchup is, uh, is pretty tough going against the Vikings. Sean, who are you relatively low on? Uh, so I'm low on Jonu Smith. Uh, I mean, I kind of mentioned that joke earlier, but he only had a carry last week. Um, and, you know, looking at his uh, usage, he, um, his routes per run uh, dropback uh, lowered to 48%. Um, and really, this is, this is more of a three-way ugly tight end timeshare than people realize. Anthony Furkser is getting a ton of run. Uh, he ran uh, just one or two routes less than Smith. Uh, and 
uh, Michael Pruitt's in there quite a bit as well. So this is a situation I want to avoid. And John New Smith, he had a good uh, three-game stretch there where Adam Humphreys is out. Um, Adam Humphreys could return this week, so I think that'll further uh, lower my projection for Smith um, if he's able to return this week. But uh, Smith is a guy that I, I liked a few weeks ago, but at 3,800 um, this week, I, I think I'll be completely fading him. Raymond, what do you got? For me, it's the uh, the Texans tight ends, uh, Jordan Akins and Darren Fells. Uh, they're kind of platooning in, in terms of uh, their their routes run. They're both they both tend to be in the uh, in the fifties, so they're they're running around half the routes. Uh, Akins has popped a little more lately, but this Bills team always talk about it pretty much since Sean McDermott has taken over. Uh, they've been really good at limiting tight ends. I think a lot of that has to do with their safeties, uh, Jordan Poyer and, and Micah Hyde back there. Uh, really, really good safeties. They don't. They they, they play a lot of um of, of zone, and they can kind of and if they can match up man to man if they need to as well. So, uh, not a fan of of Fells and Aikens. Have them nine ten. I actually like the tight end on the other side, uh, in, in this game a lot more. In Dawson Knox, uh, the Houston Texans are number thirty two in DVOA on passes over the middle, and I think that you always have to look out for. Uh, you know, tight end, slot receiver, so also like Cole Beasley. But I think, uh, you know, Josh Allen, if if you're using him in a tournament, I think a good way to get some differentiation is to stack him with, um, you know, not only Brown or not only Brown and Beasley, but uh, to throw Knox in there as well because I think Knox is another sneaky candidate to have a big game or, or finish in the top three uh, this week. All right, Sean, give us the tight end prop. So let's go with uh, Dallas Goddard. Assuming Zach Ertz is out, um, what do you guys have receiving yards-wise from? I have that line. I have to adjust that real quick because I have Ertz playing. I would set that at – oh, boy. I would set it at 66 and a half. Oh, wow. Actually, so I actually do have him a lot, slightly under that. I have him at 62. Um, and that is assuming Ertz is out. Uh, but, you know, pretty close. But I'll, I'll go under just um, for, you know, median mean type of situation. What's the status on Aguilar right now? Do we even know? He still hasn't returned to practice yet, like okay. in a month. So uh, I, I would lean towards doubtful. Okay. I'll, I'll go over 62 and a half. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you guys middled me. <laughs> that would actually be more fair. I mean, it's, it's pretty tough setting a line and having to stick with it after two guys pounce on it. So, yeah, I'll give you over 62 and a half. We'll see if you guys can middle me out there. Yeah, that would uh, that would be fantastic. Uh, okay, that's that's the show. I hope everyone, as you are listening to this, uh, that you are having a fantastic new year. You can follow Sean, Chris, and me in the Action Network app at the underscore odds maker, Chris Rayvon, and Matt F. The Oracle. Use the app to get real-time odds and track your bets for free. Check out the rest of our episodes and live shows this week. Please subscribe to and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, radio.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you again next episode. We're finished talking.